Test, test. test.
Good morning. It is good to see each of you. We may have some others that are coming in, but it's time for us to get started in our worship. Our elder is on his way. Okay. I trust each of you have a bulletin, so you have it to follow along with our order of worship. Also on the uh, table in the foyer, there are the newest editions of Acts and Facts and also of Israel, My Glory. And so I encourage you to pick those up if you have not done so. Also, this is somewhat of a busy week, a little different than usual. And so I want to just highlight that there won't be a Bible study Wednesday night. We are having our leadership team meeting at 5.30. So men on the leadership team, if you remember that. Uh, We will be having a men's prayer breakfast Saturday morning in the fellowship area at 7 in the morning. And then the ladies have their luncheon on Saturday at uh, 11.30 at the home of Billy Knox. And if you're not sure of uh, address, uh, we can make sure you have that. But there is a sign-up sheet, and I think it is on the table in the back of the... Kathy has it. So if you haven't uh, signed up for one of the items for the ladies' luncheon, let me encourage you to see her before you leave today. Also, you'll notice that basically our hymns today are all found in the supplement, and two of them are inserts. And so to make it easy, in the front um, cover pocket is By Grace Alone. In the back pocket is Yet Not I, But Through Christ. So you have all of that available for our worship. As we get ready to turn our attention to the worship of our Lord, let's review our scripture memory verse together, which is found in Colossians 3, 14 through 16. 17, thank you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And it's found in Colossians 3, 14 through 17. Let's do it one more time. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 3, 14 through 17. Well, if I'm there at 16, I know I'll get to 17. So sorry about that. Very good. We do have a great God. And the privilege we have in the name of the Lord Jesus is to render to him the worship that uh, glorifies his name. So may we bow down 
and give him the glory that he deserves.
We lift our voices and hearts this morning to praise our good Father, our loving Father, our perfect Savior, and to our ever-present comforter, teacher, and helper, our glorious triune God. Father, this morning we praise you in every morning, for you are good, and there is no good, no one good except God, God alone. Everything created by God is good. Your will, O God, is that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we are secure because the good hand of our God is upon us. You, Father, withhold no good thing from your people, and you give us good news. You are always at work in your children for your good pleasure. And your word is truth to our ears and a light to our feet. Your mercy and grace are limitless and unconditional to those whom you call. And you are faithful from everlasting to everlasting. Father, you care for your sheep, and not one of them will be snatched from your hand. You are wise, and your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your ways are not our ways. You alone are the redeeming God who saves. You are the mighty God. Father, we pray this morning for wisdom and willingness to surrender as you faithfully, and for your good purpose, answer our prayers. Father, we thank you uh, for those you have given to lead and instruct us in your ways. We pray for the following of the Spirit for those who do lead, our elders, Joe and Chad. We pray for our leadership team and their families. For the ministry of the Word and the increase of that ministry, praying that our Father for workers to go into the fields ripe for harvest. Thank you, Father, for those you have given who willingly and joyfully serve our congregation. We pray for sustained support for our church as you continue to grow us in unity and harmony. Father, we thank you for the sweet time that we as your church family enjoy when we are gathered together in your name. Father, we pray for those in the mission field, thanking you for them and for those upon whose hearts you have placed a burden for prayer and support. We pray that all of your children, no matter where they are, convicted of your command that they share the good news with all whom they encounter. We pray for the Woodrows in your ministry in Mozambique, for the Warrens in Ethiopia, and for your 1810 ministry in Central America, and for Tristan and Jaya and your ministry to the Nepalese. Father, we do pray for our nation and the leaders you have placed over us, always remembering that our citizenship is already with you in heaven. We pray for the church universal, that it would be led to worship in spirit and in truth, and we thank you for this land you have given, as we pray for our military and first responders, whom you have equipped to defend and protect us from those who would do us harm. Father, we pray for revival in this land, that there might be peace and righteousness. Lord, we thank you and praise you for our families and our homes. Father, you have given us this foretaste of joy that we will experience and enjoy with you and our eternal family. For those families dealing with strife and discord, I pray for their surrender to you, the God of all peace and comfort. Protect our families from the evil one and equip and strengthen fathers and husbands that they may lead their families biblically. Father, you alone are the author of salvation and the perfecter of our faith. We pray for those family members whom we love who are lost, knowing that we serve a Lord who delights to show mercy and in whom there is no error. Father, we lift up, lift them up, 
all the while placing our faith and trust in you and you alone, knowing that your plan is perfect and your perfect will will be done. Father, there are many physical health concerns in our close and extended families. You know each one of them far more intimately than we ever could, and you know the perfect outcome in each and every situation. We thank you and praise you for those whom you have returned to temporal physical health, knowing that you and you alone have the only perfect eternal cure for our most serious condition. Thank you, Father, that you alone give eternal life, and we all look forward to the time when we will all be with you in our glorified bodies, free for eternity from the maladies and ills of this dying world. Father, thank you for this day that we may gather in your name to worship you, giving you all praise, honor, and glory. Thank you for this body of believers deserving of death but called to life through the perfect plan, your perfect plan of salvation, the obedient and complete work of your Son, and the regenerating ministry of the Holy Spirit. Guide us and strengthen us all this week that we as children of the one true God may walk in a manner worthy of our calling. All this we pray today in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen.
If you're so inclined to take some notes in our study today, there is an insert provided in your bulletin for you. We will be studying in the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of chapter 10. And especially for the benefit of the younger ones that are here, uh, before we actually go to our study, I want to share something that's true of me when I was small like you and also growing up. And that is the fact that I was often in trouble. And I chuckle at it now. I'm certainly not... um, I'm certainly not uh, proud of it, but that was the reality. And sometimes even in grade school or high school, I'd be getting into trouble with other people. And when someone, be it at home, my parents, or at school, one of the teachers would call us all together, I felt like what I could say to get out of any trouble would be, they started it. And I'll bet you there's sometimes for you and in Karis, maybe when things are going on, they think it's okay because someone else started it. What I learned is I still got into trouble, even if they started it. And that's what we want to talk about today. Whether I start something or I'm part of it, how is it I ought to handle it so I don't get into trouble? So let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us as we study together in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Father, we thank you again for your precious word. We thank you, Father, that your word gives us an understanding of who you are, how majestically glorious you are, and the privilege it is to know you. We thank you, too, that your word gives us wisdom on how to conduct ourselves in the things that we do each day. I pray, Father, that you'd give me wisdom and clarity and that I would be of benefit to all who hear. I pray, Father, that you'd prepare each of our hearts to receive your truth, to be changed by that truth, and that the Spirit of God would give us the understanding, and that in all things, the one who is worthy, even Jesus Christ our Lord, would be glorified. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't think it's any secret that I would say to you I love sports. Uh, I greatly love sports. Enjoyed playing them and now enjoy watching them. And of all sports, I think I could also say without um, giving too much thought to it that football is one of my favorite sports. Not that fake football over in Europe, but the one that was started here in America. 
And in watching games, we find different times penalties are uh, assessed to individuals. It might be something that somebody started earlier than before the ball was snapped. And so there's a penalty for a false start. At other times, there are personal fouls that individuals are given because of wrongs that were done. And if you've ever watched like I've watched, more often than not, the person that is given the personal foul is the one that retaliated and not the one that started the conflict. You can see that the game's being played and after the play is over, two individuals are getting into it. Somebody might shove someone else and the other individual responds by throwing a punch or shoving back and out goes the yellow flag and the personal foul is on the one who retaliated. And the coach will take that individual aside and say, it doesn't matter who started it. You just cost us 15 yards because you don't know how to keep your cool in pressure. Attitude. Even in playing very aggressive sport is essential. It's a little thing that makes a big difference. And the same is relevant and true in life. It's not so much what happens to you, not so much what do people do, not so much who started it, but how do you respond to it? And that's what Solomon is pointing out for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because this book is designed to provide us with wisdom to live life. And in particular to know that we don't find meaning and purpose in life in the temporal pursuits although we're engaged in them. But we recognize that it's a foundation in the Lord. He is the rock upon which we are building our lives. He is the focus of our life, the objective in our life, for his glory in our life, and thereby you or me as an individual find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life. As Solomon develops this, he's doing it as somewhat as a philosopher, someone as giving a persuasive speech. He wants to provide all of the information to show the validity of what he is saying. And in chapters 1 through 6, he points out how temporal things always leave people empty. And then in chapters 7 through 12, the deductions that are made from that truth and that a life focused upon and centered in the Lord is the one that gives individuals fulfillment and meaning. And as Solomon develops these deductions, he brings forth to us certain little truths that we need to understand, kind of pithy little sayings, statements that are made to help us know uh, how it is that we are to be handling ourselves in life. He has made it very clear in this book that what's really most essential is that we recognize wisdom is of greatest importance. It's superior to military might. It's superior to physical strength. It's superior to the times or circumstances that one might have. 
And in that, he provides these little statements to help us recognize that as you and I go through life, we're going to face problems. We're going to meet difficulties. There are times we're going to scratch our heads and have perplexity as to what in the world is going on and to think that what is best for us to do. And so Solomon, providing these little statements, has said in verses 17 through 20 of Ecclesiastes 10 the following. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, an inexperienced individual, whose princes feast in the morning, and blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness, through indolence. The rafters sag, and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms do not curse a rich man. For the bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creatures will make the matter known. I'm not planning for us to go over the same material we did last time, even though this is the section that we were studying. But what I really want to focus on is what Solomon is saying in verse 20, beginning with that word, furthermore. In other words, in addition to. Think about this. This really has relevance and importance. Now, what he has been talking about is the reality that the character of leadership will be determining what's going on in the culture, the people, the individuals who make up the nation or the land. Isn't that right? Woe to you, to a land that has immature, self-seeking individuals who have that position of authority wanting to satisfy their own desires because there are going to be detrimental consequences that come to the people who are governed by such. But on the other hand, blessed are you. This land, the land standing for the people that are under that authority, when the people ruling over you recognize their responsibility, they've been prepared and trained for it. And they use the privileges that they have to further strengthen themselves to perform the task that is before them. And from that, we had seen certain little statements made by Solomon. And he talked about the fact that temporal things always need attention, right? If they're neglected, you end up with a leaky roof. You end up with a deteriorating building. And if I look at the analogy in temporal things, he reminds me of the fact that there is need in my own life for a diligence in attending to what needs my attention or is most important. And it isn't just the temporal things. It is the reality that I really need understanding, discernment, and wisdom to handle the problems, difficulties, and perplexities in life. And just like someone needs to give attention to temporal things in order for them not to deteriorate or fail to fulfill their function, so I need to give attention to the fact that I really need the wisdom to know how to handle these perplexities and difficulties in life. 
Now, typically, as we grow and mature because of the experiences that we have had, we tend to gain some of that wisdom. But not always. Not everybody that gets old is wise. Not everybody that gets old is a happy person. Some individuals get old and they're grouches. It's the reality. There's a bitterness that's there because they think life has dealt them an incorrect deck, an incorrect hand of cards. And the reality is I need to give attention to what's really essential. And what Solomon has already indicated is that I need to be an individual that's cultivating my walk with the Lord. Regardless of what yesterday was like, regardless of what was true in the past. And what I have found growing older, I have found number one, white hair doesn't necessarily make you wise. And number two, that you're going to still be given situations in life where all of your experience in the past is still going to cause, will not prevent you from needing to scratch your head and wonder what's going on. Life is like that. God continues to bring us into those perplexing problems uh, that, that we might rely upon him. He then makes a statement to help us recognize that what we face in life has design and purpose to it. And I wanted to emphasize last time Solomon wasn't rebuking the idea of men having a meal for enjoyment or wine making a heart glad or that money answers all things. He's stating a perceived understanding of reality, that God designed food for us more than just satisfying our physical demands and needs. Don't you often just stand in amazement of the great variety of tastes that God has put in the food substances that he gives us to enjoy? It was given for our pleasure, our enjoyment. Now, I can abuse it. I can become a glutton and just live for food. But Solomon, in the first six chapters, has already said, you're going to still be left empty because the stomach is still going to get empty and you're going to want something else. Wine makes the heart glad, Psalm 104, part of God's design. And in this world under the sun, God has so designed that when I procure my needs, what enables me to do so? Money answers all things. It takes care of it. He is stating a reality. What does he want us to understand? What's the background or the significance of this statement? God has a design in everything he does and gives us. He had a design for the food that he gives us to eat. He has a design for the wine that he provided us to drink. He has a design for having the essential working of money to provide for our needs. It answers all things. And so as you and I look at our circumstances in life, there are times when we're going to have what we could call beneficial government. There are other times when we're going to have, man, this is horrible type of government. But God has a purpose behind both. And what Solomon wants us to understand is that what's really important 
as you and I are in those circumstances is not that they started it, but how I respond to it. Furthermore, furthermore, what does he say? In your bedchamber, do not curse the king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. So you're looking at individuals who have positions of authority, they're in positions of leadership, or they have the resources to be in a more prominent position than you're in. And what he says is, how you deal with those individuals in that position is critical. Your response really matters. And the first thing that he says is that you need to be sure you don't curse such an individual to pronounce a divine judgment upon that individual, even if they are individuals that you don't get along with or you don't agree with. The reality is, no matter how uh, well-liked an individual may be that's in a position of leadership, sooner or later something's going to happen and not everybody's going to be very pleased. And you and I need to recognize that what's most important is not what's happening to us, not what they are doing, but how we respond to it. And it is more than just pronouncing a curse. Why am I doing that? It's because I am really ticked off. I'm really upset. How could they make such an idiotic decision? Don't they know this adversely affects me? The point is, is that if I want something detrimental to happen to them, it's because my response to what's going on is very negative. I don't like what's happening. It's not right that this should happen to me. And what I need to understand is I can get into trouble for my response. The referee may throw out the yellow hanky because I was caught retaliating rather than that I was the one that initiated. He says, the reason why you need to be sure you do not do this, because the bird of the heavens will carry the sound and the winged creatures will make the matter known. Where did he say don't do it? Well, he didn't say don't go out on the street corner and make such pronouncements. When you think you're in the most private, intimate of all settings, when you think no one could be listening, no one will hear, in your bedchamber, in the inner resources of your own home, because, he says, the bird of the heavens will carry the sound of the winged creature will make the matter known. This, by the way, is the... appears to be the background to the idea that you hear people say, well, how did you learn about that? Oh, a little birdie told me. The bird will make the matter known. Uh, back in the 60s where the song, you know, the guy learned of it, I heard it through the grapevine. People just love to gossip. They want to tell somebody something juicy about someone else. 
often whether it's true or not. Um, the walls have what? Ears. See, another statement that we have. It's the whole idea that no matter how much we may think we've said it, we've done it, when no one else will know, it gets out. One of the secretaries that I had in a previous ministry, her dad was in the Navy, and her little saying when something was going on, because she recognized very clearly, you don't just tell everybody what goes through the church office. And that saying was, loose lips sink ships. Little birdie told me, the winged creatures make it known. And part of that is a truth that God tells us in his word. Be sure your sin will what? Find you out. So what's going on that Solomon has this persuasion, this perspective that he wants us to understand. We need to recognize life is hard. You and I live in a world that is still under the curse. You and I live in a world where sinful people are trying to get along with one another. And the main attitude of heart of every individual is that I want to be like God. Now, when you get two gods working against one another, there's going to be a tension, isn't there? And please understand, I put God with a small g. But we're of our father, the devil, and the desires of our father we want to do. And what is the ultimate desire of the evil one? I want to receive the glory that only belongs to God. And human beings have that same mindset where they say, I'm autonomous. I'm in charge of my own life. How dare you cross me? It's all looking out for number one. It's the me generation. No wonder there's problems. There's too many me's trying to live together with one another. You and I live in a world that is difficult. It's still under the curse Sinful things are being manifested. People do harmful and hurtful things to others. Sometimes we're the cause of the trouble. Sometimes we're the recipients of the trouble. But what really matters in the trouble, in the difficulty, in the enigmas of life, in the perplexities, is not what's going on. Furthermore, in addition to, pay attention to, what really matters is how you respond. The United States of America is greatly blessed. It has been greatly blessed. There's no getting around that. But the United States of America doesn't have perfect government. Even though there was enough wisdom in setting it up where there were checks and balances that were put into all three aspects of the authority that's over us. The judicial, the executive, and the legislative branches. Because even good people can do bad things. 
we still deal with the problems of sin. I have come to the conclusion that the best form of government is not democracy. The best form of government is a benevolent theocracy. God ruling in his goodness over us. And when he is doing so visibly and personally, he's not going to ask us to vote on what we think ought to be done because you and I don't have the wisdom to know what ought to be done. You and I, though, still live in a difficult world. You're going to be the recipient of harmful, at times hateful things. And you're not exonerated because you say, they started it. What really matters is your response, is your response. In the midst of all of my difficulties, in the midst of all the problems that I face, I need to maintain a composure in life. Even the youngest ones with us know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Or they know the story of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a tyrant that was over them by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was under the Gentile rule of the Medo-Persian Empire. And even though Darius had a liking to Daniel, those who were advisors of the king had a great dislike for him. So what happened to Daniel's three friends? What happened to Daniel? Well, Daniel's three friends, by the rage of Nebuchadnezzar, were thrown into a fiery furnace. I don't read anywhere in the book of Daniel they threw a temper tantrum. I don't read anywhere in the book of Daniel that they were all bent out of shape. Instead, the three friends said to this tyrant in the midst of his rage, you can do with us whatever you desire to do. We have a God who's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow down to your idol. Composure. Daniel, in the lion's den, the same thing. A response where he could say, I have done nothing wrong. I have been wrongly accused. There has been a treacherous plot against me. It is not fair. No, he didn't say that. He submitted to what took place. And in the morning... When they took the lid off of the den, Darius asked, Daniel, the God whom you serve day and night, has he been able to deliver you from the mouth of the lions? And Daniel's response was, oh, live, O king. In other words, have a cheerful heart, Darius. Because God sent his angel who clothed, closed the mouth of the lions because I had done nothing wrong against you. His composure was to leave the issue where? With God. And to be sure that he continued to bear the right kind of testimony, 
even in the midst of an adverse situation. Now, it isn't just an external act that we need to recognize or where this composure comes from. If you think about what the writer of Hebrews admonishes us, he said, see to it that no root of bitterness spring up within you. You know why? Because by it many become defiled. Not only does this bitterness poison and destroy the individual to where that individual becomes a cranky old man or a cranky old woman that no one wants to be around. The individual who has thought life just really is not fair. People have done bad things to me and I didn't deserve it. But it begins to poison other people too. No, it's the attitude of heart that will be demonstrated in the response and what is of greatest importance. Because you and I need to recognize that far too often the greatest testimony we ever bear to a world that is watching us, to family members who see us, to a church community in which we enjoy fellowship with one another, is how we respond to the unfair, difficult circumstances of life. It's our attitude, it's our response that makes the big difference. Look with me over in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 20 of chapter 2, Peter says, What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? In other words, if you did something wrong and you get punishment for it, and you think, oh, I'm going to buck up under this, that doesn't make any difference at all. You're just getting what you deserved. But on the other hand, he says, but if when you do what is right and you suffer for it and patiently endure it, you maintain your composure, this finds favor with God. In other words, he approves of that type of response. For you've been called for this purpose. For what purpose? that you might have difficult things that come into your life, that people will do hateful and harmful things to you that you do not deserve, and that how you respond to it is designed by God for your benefit and your testimony to others. For if you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God, for you've been called for this purpose. Now, why would that be true of me as a person that is a Christian? Because Christ also suffered for you. He left you an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't respond in the same manner. He didn't revile back in return. 
while he was suffering. He uttered no threats, wasn't cursing those in authority over them. In fact, what did he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're ignoramuses. They don't have a clue as to what's going on. They're ignorant. Instead of uttering threats, he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like a shepherd, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In other words, my response to hateful, harmful things, my response to difficult circumstances and when people do things to me that are not fair needs to be reflective of how Christ responded because it doesn't matter who started it. What matters is how do I respond to it? Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Only when it's justified, pay back evil for evil to everyone. I fear we'd like it to read that way. Because somehow we feel our inappropriate response is justified because someone else started it. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men's. If possible, as far as it depends on you, do what? Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You can be sure God is going to still settle all accounts. And what I need to do is to keep that composure with the things that happen in my life so that I might have an impact upon others and let God take care of dealing with them as is appropriate. If your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Responding in the kind, loving way that was true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, part of it is understanding what's really going on. And part of it is asking God to be working his grace within our hearts. What do I need to understand and what's going on? Well, Solomon had indicated that in earlier chapters of Proverbs. God has made everything appropriate for its time. And an understanding is no one can straighten what God has bent. To recognize that whatever is happening has come from the order of his throne. And there might be a time when someone is cursing me 
just like David was being cursed when he was running from his son Solomon and how did, or excuse me, his son Absalom. And how did David respond? When one of the military leaders said, let me go lop off his head, David said, leave him alone. If God has bidden him to curse, I can't change that. What did David understand? The response is what's most important. And perhaps God will look upon my affliction and show me grace. If we look at the authorities that are over us, notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, beginning in 1 and 2. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God and those that exist are established by God. Now Paul's talking about the Roman government that became very oppressive. Very oppressive to the Christian people. And what is it Paul said they're to do? Submit to them. I think there's a sense in which there is to have a respect for them. Not that you necessarily respect the person, but you respect the office that the person holds. Why is that? Because God ordained that office. And God is the one that put that person in that office. And why did God put that person in that office at that time? Because God is moving all things to accomplish his intended purpose. He's moving all the events of the universe to the point where Jesus Christ will be enthroned as king of kings. And while he does so, he is moving all events in your individual life as a child of God who loves the Lord is called according to his purpose for your what? For your good. He didn't say he's brought all things together for your happiness. He's causing all things to work together for your personal pleasure. But God's intended purpose in whatever takes place in your life, as he is superintending all of those things, is to provide what is most advantageous and beneficial for you at that given moment. And sometimes what's needed is a little heavenly sandpaper. And some of us are more stubborn than others, and God uses a lot more sandpaper on those individuals. And what's really most important is how am I responding? And especially for us in this church fellowship, Because if there is anything that this church body stands for is that we believe God is sovereign. That he's in control of all things. And whether we really tangibly believe that is most clearly going to be seen when we're hurting. When we face difficulties when someone may say something or do something that is very hurtful to us. Because the right answer is never, but they started it. What matters is how we respond. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority 
except from God. And those that exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God. And those who oppose will bring condemnation to themselves. I go back to Daniel. You ought to read again Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar is really bearing his personal testimony. And again, recall, Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked tyrant. He wasn't a benevolent ruler. And why that chapter is so important and valid for us is because of the attitude and heart of Daniel. And when Daniel interpreted the uh, dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that he was going to be the recipient of divine chastening, do you know how David, or excuse me, Daniel responded? Oh, king, how I wish it was for your enemies instead of you. Could have been very easy to respond and say, aha, now you're going to get what you deserve. But here's Daniel in a Gentile court with a ruler who was anything but benevolent who had a genuine concern for the well-being of the person that was in the constituted authority over him. Not only can I just say, I believe God is sovereign. He is the one that is working all things after the counsel of his own will. That he is the one that's put individuals in positions of authority. The attitude of my heart needs to be, I respect the office, even if I can't respect the person. And what I really desire more than anything else is the well-being of that individual in the position of authority. That's why... We find that uh, Paul told Timothy, I want men everywhere to pray for all who are in authority, to pray for their well-being, to pray that God would give them wisdom to the end result that we could live quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and dignity. Psalm 37 is a great psalm about how to handle the injustices that you see in life. And the first statement that is made in Psalm 37 is, do not fret. As you go through life, don't get all bent out of shape. Don't let your underwear get tied up in knots. Because how we respond is an indication of what we really believe. And to recognize that God even has a purpose, just like a meal prepared for enjoyment. Money to take care of providing your needs. Wine to make your heart glad. God has a purpose even for those perplexities in life that we can't comprehend, that we don't have the capability of understanding in our finiteness. And when God brings things to pass in our life that are difficult to understand, what really matters most is the attitude of heart and how we respond. May God give us the abundance of his grace that as we run the race that is before us looking to our wonderful Savior, our response might be one that really brings glory to him, that demonstrates to others that we really do have a God who's in charge of all things. And instead of getting all bent out of shape with whatever takes place, we can rest contentedly in our God who wisely will bring to pass 
what is moving things towards his appointed end and who is doing what is for the best good of each one of his children and that in all things Jesus Christ might receive the glory. Because it isn't that you are exonerated because someone else started it. What's really most important is the response you have to it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth and how I pray that you would be pleased, Father, to burn that truth deep within our hearts and that in our lives and our daily experiences and the people we meet and in the circumstances you place us, Father, we might respond in a way that really brings you glory and bears a testimony to others and even causes us to see, oh, how marvelous is that grace within us and that what people are seeing is not us, but a glimpse, a glimmer, a savor of Christ himself, to whom belongs the glory forever. Amen.
Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Maranatha, have a blessed day.